Hello, welcome to Curious Lorenzo, a podcast where I research in real time topics that I am curious about. So this is episode three, and I am learning a lot about um, what this podcast is and how I'm doing it. And, you know, I want to have fun, but I also want to have a good, um, you know, I want to have a good podcast. So, um, basically I, I'm trying to perfect my, my outline and I hope that if you are enjoying the podcast that I can improve it. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, the, Episode three, this episode, I want to talk about the Electoral College. So we have a really huge, I think, historical election that is happening here really soon. Um, tomorrow. Tomorrow is the, tomorrow is the uh, election, presidential election. And um, in the United States, we do elections a little bit different than um, other places in the world. So... Other places in the world will do elections based on a popular vote. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just going to dive into what I know about elections and how we do it and how the, how the rest of the world does it. But uh, so most places, uh, in fact, I don't even know if any other, any other place does electoral college votes. Uh, let me just do a quick, I'm already going to do a Google search. Do, does... Any other country use? See, and it's a top Google search already. Um, so, other countries with the electoral college systems include Burundi, Estonia, Kazakhstan, Madagascar, Myanmar, Pakistan, Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, Vanuatu. Um, the CNED, so this must be like some Gaelic, uh, Gaelic ans- uh, language. The CNED, Iran, uh, and in parentheses it says Senate in Ireland is chosen by electoral electoral college as well. So not very many places use electoral college, but uh, most other places will use a popular vote, and a popular vote is pretty cut and dry. Um, the most people to the, the, the higher number, the highest number of votes toward, cast towards a, 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 um, a candidate win. So if there's a country where there's, you know, 7,800,432 votes cast towards a candidate, and then there's 6 million and some change cast towards another, another candidate, and then a million and some odd change towards the third candidate, um, the candidate that received the highest number of votes will win. So pretty basic. Uh, that's not what happens in the United States. Um, not even, I mean, it, it's, it's just not. We keep track of a popular vote, but the popular vote winner does not win that presidency, the, the election. Um, and this has happened where uh, in the United States, somebody has won the popular vote, but lost the presidency. So um, one example of that was, I think, in 2000. Um, let's see, 2000 presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore. 
Al Gore won the popular vote. He won, he, he received 50 million, and this is coming from the Wikipedia article on 2000 presidential election. He won, uh, or he received 50,999,897 votes. And George W. Bush received 50,456,002 votes. So uh, Al Gore won the popular vote. However, um, in the Electoral College, Al Gore won 266 electoral, electoral college votes versus George W. Bush's 271. So since George W. Bush received more electoral college votes, he won the presidency. Uh, and this also happened in the last election in 2016 between um, Hillary Clinton and, um, and Donald Trump. So let's see, 200, I'm going to Google that, 2016 um, presidential election. And uh, this wasn't even a bigger difference, I believe, as far as the popular. It wasn't as close as the George W. Bush and Al Gore. Yeah, so in 2016, Hillary Clinton received 65,853,514 votes versus Donald Trump's 62,984,828 votes. But um, Donald Trump received 304 electoral college votes versus Hillary Clinton's 227. So it is, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but it's a system that we use. Uh, so I wanted to find out a little bit more um, about the history of of why we use the Electoral College. Um, I wanted to find out, um, so, you know, um, what it means for our elections, um, if we ever plan on changing it. Uh, these are all interesting questions to me and why, you know, I'm, I'm curious about it, especially now uh, in this day before the election. So, um, Let's go ahead and get started. So uh, the Electoral College, and let's take a look. I'm looking at the uh, just the map, and you can see that each state has a different amount of, of electoral votes based on the population. So today, the Electoral College is based on, looks like the 2010 census. And there's 538 total electoral college votes. Um, the total number cast in 2016 was 538. Um, and then 2016, of, of which Donald Trump received 304. Hillary Clinton received 227. And this is interesting. Colin Powell received three of those. Bernie Sanders received one electoral college vote. John uh, Kasich. Kasich, um, he's the, was he, was he the governor of Ohio? Uh, Kasich, <clears throat> he received uh, one, Ron Paul received one, and Faith Spotted Eagle received one. So, so yeah, that was in the 2016 election, there's 538 uh, votes. So I'm just gonna read this first paragraph and see what I can glean off of this first paragraph of this article. In the United States, the Electoral College refers to a group, refers to the group of presidential electors 
required by the United States Constitution to form every four years for the sole purpose of electing the president and vice president of the United States. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution provides that each state shall appoint electors selected in a manner in legislature determines, uh, electors selected in a manner its, its legislature determines, and it disqualifies any person holding a federal office, either elected or appointed from being an elector. Uh, so somebody's appointed, um, people who are holding federal office cannot, cannot be an elector. I'm guessing that's probably because of partisan, um, you know, being, being partisan. And yes, yeah, so I'm going to keep going. There are currently 538 electors and an absolute majority of electoral votes, 270 or more is required to win the election. So tomorrow, that magic number is 270. If a, a can, either one of the candidates receives 270 um, votes or more, that means they have a majority, and that means they win the election. So uh, let me read the second paragraph of this article. The appropriateness of the electoral college system is a matter of ongoing debate. So yeah, it's been, been debated for a while. Uh, most countries don't use electoral colleges, I just kind of found out. Supporters argue that it is a fundamental component of American federalism. Uh, American federalism is the constitutional division of power between U.S. state governor, governments and the federal government of the United States since the founding of the country and particularly with the end of the American Civil War. So American federalism has to do with um, sort of, you know, there's federal power and then there's power given to the states and and yeah it's fundamental some people say it's fundamental to american federalism they maintain the system elected they maintain the system elected the winner of the nationwide popular vote popular vote in over 90 percent of president okay yeah so th th they maintain that the system elected the winner of the nationwide popular vote in over 90 percent of presidential elections so mo they're saying most of the time um, the popular vote winner wins the Electoral College. Uh, they say it promotes political stability, preserves the constitutional role of the states in presidential election elections, and fosters a broad-based, enduring, and generally moderate po political party system. Um, I guess that's saying like it's it's not gonna it's not gonna let one political party or the other gain too much power and then have kind of a runaway effect. Um, I'm going to inject my opinion on this uh, because I could see this happening. Mo happening. Most of, most of our population is um, in, in like urban areas, I would guess. Uh, and in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. Percentage of U.S. population in urban areas. So, all right, according to this Washington Post article published December 18, 2018, and I will, I will link this in my sources in the show notes, 80% of Americans live in, in urban areas, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And for the most part, folks who are living in urban areas vote, uh, vote Democrat or liberal or progressive, um, blue. They, they tend to lean left or be even further left than those folks who are in rural areas. That's just pretty a general you know, consensus that this is how people in cities vote. So if, if I, I can see how the electoral college would be um, 
sort of fought for by people who live in red states or people who are more conservative, because that means that presidential elections are going to be more influenced by um, by more liberal uh, politicians, and that could probably that I guess that could mean that you know more people are going to be leaning towards the left. That means that there's going to be more power, and that means there's going to be less power to the Republican Party. Um, I would also argue that this might be a good thing that the Republican Party it doesn't get so comfortable um, that they can just kind of sit around and 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 make make policies and and have this. Uh, their, their, their power sort of secured. And I could, I could also argue that for, on the same end that um, the Democratic Party uh, can be a little bit unsafe too because it, it, could, it could give room for an, another political party to rise, maybe, maybe, maybe a second or a third or a fourth political party. Uh, so popular vote, I think, is a good thing, but Democrats and Republicans might not want it because that means their power isn't so secure. So that might, that's a little bit of my analysis. I'm not sure if that has any validity, validity to it. There it is. I'm, I struggle with that word, validity <laughs> to it. But, but yeah, the Electoral College sort of keeps power in, those, in the hands of those that have it, it seems. All right. Critics argue, so I'm reading from the article again, third paragraph. Critics argue that the Electoral College is less democratic than a national direct popular vote and is subject to, ma- to manipulation because of faithless electors. Faithless electors is linked and defined if I hover over. In United States presidential elections, a faithless elector is a member of the United States Electoral College who does not vote for the presidential or vice presidential candidate for whom they were pledged to vote. That is, they break faith with the candidate they were pledged to vote and vote for another candidate. Um, so I've heard of this, like in the electoral college, you know, you, uh, the electors are assigned by the state and it's up to them to cast their vote and a faithless elector, I guess, can vote for whoever they want. But I don't know if this has ever happened. I don't know if there's ever been a faithless elector who has, let's, let's, say, let's say that there's, you know, for New Mexico, there are five electoral votes. And let's say, Four of those votes go towards Biden because we're 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 polling to to be a blue state, but then one of them says, you know what, I'm going to vote for Trump, so they vote for Trump. I don't know. I don't know if that's ever happened ever, and it would be interesting to find out. But uh, it says that it's subject subject to manipulation because of faithless electors. I can see, you know, what if there's some sort of, and this seems so far fetched, but I guess it's plaus- plausible. Um, maybe there's some sort of foreign. Um, interference, interference, like we've seen with with past elections. I guess there's nothing's not out of the question in 2020, but maybe maybe people are bribed or something, um, or or threatened, or who knows. I guess that, that they're saying that the elections can be manipulated. All right, that is a system. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, it says. Let me, let me start that sentence over. Critics argue that the Electoral College is less democratic than a national direct popular vote and is subject to manipulation because of faithless electors, that faithless electors, that the system is antithetical to a democracy that strives for a standard of one person, one vote. And there can be elections where one candidate wins the national popular vote, but another wins the electoral vote. 
as in the 20, 2000 and 2016 elections. Individual citizens in less populated states with 5% of the Electoral College have proportionately more voting power than those in more populous states. And candidates can win by focusing their resources on just a few swing states. So we're seeing that. Um, for example, California is a huge, huge state. It, has, it is the most populous state in the United States um, of California. I'm Googling it. So the population of California is 39.51 million people. Lots and lots of people. Um, and I guess I'll go into that, how many, how many electoral votes you get per person. But for, for a state like California, they have 39.51 million people with 55 electoral college votes. But then there's a state like Wyoming... Um, that is very sparsely populated, that has 578,759 people. Very, very, very low population. And Wyoming receives three electoral votes. So I guess you can calculate the, you, you know, you can divide how, like how many, what's the population per electoral vote. And it turns out that that this this uh, ratio makes it so that those least those those very sparsely populated states have uh, less uh, they have um, they have a m more power per per vote more um, yeah the, the ratio is in favor of those smaller states um, and then on the the other part of this statement was that. Candidates can focus their resources on a few swing states. And a swing state is a state that doesn't always vote for one candidate or the next. That means those, the elections in those states are always pretty close. So like California and New York are pretty solid blue for the most part. They're pretty solid uh, liberal, democratic. And so it's really, it doesn't really make any sense for a candidate to, to focus any time or energy in New York and California because all of those electoral votes are going to go towards that candidate. All 55 of, of, of California's and all 29 of New York's are, are going to go towards the candidate that they pick, which is going to be, in this election, going to be Joe Biden. Um, there's going to be millions of voters in both of those states that vote for Donald Trump, but none of those votes really, really are going to count towards anything. Because the electoral college votes, all of those votes go towards that candidate. Um, on the red end, so states like uh, West Virginia, uh, Wyoming, Texas is the big state uh, with a lot of electoral votes. That's pretty solid most of the time, except for this year. It's polling pretty close. Um, side note: I'm, I know I'm, I'm delivering information, but I'm, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a, uh, you know, my opinion here. I'm halfway kind of hoping that. Texas flips blue just to kind of shake things up. And also because, I mean, I'll, I'll go into that later. Um, but these states tend to be pretty solid red. Most southern states are pretty solid red. Most, uh, um, a, lo a lot of Midwest states are pretty solid red, like, like Missouri um, and Indiana, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee. 
So those are those are usually pretty solid red. So they're not swing states because they 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 are are safely going to be Republican, going to be conservative states. The swing states are the ones that can go one way or the other. Um, famously, Florida. That was the state. That was the state that we uh, dealt with in the 2000 election. Um, there was a whole thing on that where you know I remember in, in high school they were talking about the hanging chads. And it was so close of a vote, and they were going to do a recount, but then the courts said no, and then there, and it went to the Supreme Court, as far as I know. Uh, I'm not going to go into that because that could be an entire episode. But these swing states have a huge impact on elections because, especially states that have a higher population, like Florida, uh, in Ohio, and Pennsylvania, um, they can they can they can um, decide elections. These states can decide elections. So it's it's really interesting that uh, you know how how this works out. These swing states are are what's focused on by candidates. All right, um, I'm gonna take a quick break. Um, that was just my sort of intro, and then I want to go into you know the number, like how many electoral votes does each state have based on population. I want to go into a little bit of the history, and then I want to talk a little bit about the current election and you know, what's going to happen uh, tomorrow in our election. So I will be right back. Okay, I'm back. So... Yeah, I went over and researched basically, you know, what is the Electoral College? Um, it's a it's a way of electing our, our president um, that is not the popular vote. Basically, each state is assigned a number of Electoral College uh, um, votes, electors, uh, they're called, that uh, is represented in, in the amount of population that your state has. And that population is taken from the census that happens every 10 years. Uh, so the last census was 2010. We're still going off of that census. The 2020 census is still kind of up in the air right now. It's still happening um, as far as I know. But um, so, so yeah, the, the, let's talk about the number of electors. Uh, in this Wikipedia article, there is a section called Number of Electors. In Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution empowers each state legislature to determine the manner by which the state's electors are chosen. So each state determines how the electors are chosen. The number of electors in each state is equal to the sum of the state's membership in the Senate and the House of Representatives. So that's, that's how many electors you get. Um, <clears throat> the number of electors is equal to the sum. So the, you know, when you're adding together the membership of the Senate and the House of Representatives. So each state automatically is going to have two senators. And then the amount of House of Representative uh, representatives you have is based on population. So I'm not sure what that number is. I'm just see if I can find that. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so, so there's 100, 100 senators, two from each state. 
and House of Representatives. Let's see if we can find out the number of people, the number of representatives per population. This is... This is... Um, a number that I am not sure of. I'm guessing that it's maybe like a half a million people per senator or per representative, but I am not sure. So this is just the Wikipedia article. Okay, here we go. Um, as of the 2010 census, the largest delegation is that of California with 53 representatives. Seven states have only one representative, Alaska, Delaware, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming. Um, this Wikipedia article doesn't tell me, I know this is riveting on a podcast, I'm like researching in real time, The comp, but uh, that's what I do. The composition of the house is established by, okay, it's part of the constitution. So let me just Google how many people per representative. How many people per representative? Looks like this is a common Google uh, search. So there's a website here, uh, history.house.gov. On this date, the House passed the Permanent Appointment Act of 1929, fixing the number of representatives at 435. So I guess you're fixed at 435 reps? Okay, so, and then it just, it's just distributed. So you, there's not going to be more. Oh, gotcha now. Okay, so the number of people per representative is not, a fixed number, it's the ratio, whatever the divided population of the country is based on that 435 number. It's never going to go over 435. So it's just whatever ratio that is. Uh, so let me, that's interesting. I did not know that. I thought it was a fixed number. Um, so let's see here, 2020 people per representative. Let's see here. And then in 2018, there was an article. The US population keeps growing, but House of Representatives is the same size as the Taft area because, because of that, um, because of the Permanent, Permanent Appointment Act of 1929. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm gonna find this number, how many people per representative it is right now, but that is that is how we how we find out how many electors are appointed is based on how many how many representatives you have plus the number of senators um and this is going to bug me because i really want to know i really want to know how many people per representative it is right now um so let's see i'm just going to google house of representatives maybe it's in the 
house.gov. Yeah, this is this is not going to help. You can view your you can find your representatives, but it doesn't tell me anything about how many people per per representative. Um as of right now, uh Democrats control the house. Um there are five vacant seats, one libertarian. Uh what else do we have here? The next election is going to happen tomorrow, so a lot of House seats are going to be up for election. But I don't know how many um, how many people are representative by are represented by each representative, and yeah. Not gonna happen. It's not easily accessible, um, and I'm 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 gonna stop focusing on that because it's not. I guess it's not important. I went down a rabbit hole, and I'm sorry. <laughs> so, the number of um, oh, so I'll go back to what I was talking about then. The in the electoral college, the number of electors is the sum of the amount of. Um, the amount of uh, senators plus the amount of um, representatives that you have in a in a given state. So let me go ahead and find the map again, and this is for the United States. So, for example, in New Mexico, we have five um, electoral uh, votes. So we have two senators and three representatives. Um, makes sense. California, huge state, has 55. Uh, so these, these numbers are going to be fixed. Um, so since, they're, since the representative, um, House of Representatives, that number is fixed based on, that, based on that act, saying that they're fixed at, what was it, 400 and some odd numbers, 435. It's fixed by law by 435. The electoral electoral college is not going to move either, um, so, so yeah, that's uh, that's the number of electors. Um, let's see what else we have. I wanted to know a little bit about the background um, of the electoral college. Like when when did this when did this even happen? Um, and also, yeah, just let, let me just go over that. The Constitutional Convention of 1787, used in the Virginia Plan as the basis for discussions as the Virginia proposal was the first. The Virginia Plan called for Congress to elect the president. Delegates from a majority of states agreed to this mode of election. After being debated, however, delegates came to oppose nomination by Congress for the reason that it could violate the separation of powers. James Wilson then made a motion for electors to use... for. for a motion for electors for the purpose of choosing the president. Okay, so the the Constitutional Convention in 1787 was basically where this uh, idea came forward. Later in the convention, a committee committee formed to work out various details, including the mode of election of a president, including final recommendations for the electors. A group of people appointed among the states in the same numbers as the representatives in Congress, the formula for which had been resolved in the lengthy debates resulting 
in the Connecticut Compromise and the, and the Three-Fifths Compromise, but chosen by each state in such manner as its legislator may direct. Committee members Governor, <laughs> Governor Morris uh, explained, it's spelled like French governor, uh, explained the reasons for the change. Among others, there were fears of intrigue if the president were chosen by a small group of men who met together regularly, as well as concerns for the independence of the president if he were elected by Congress. Congress. However, once the Electoral College had been decided on, several delegates, Mason, Butler, Morris, Wilson, and Madison, openly recognized its ability to protect the election process from cabal. What does that mean? I'm going to look that up. Look up cabal. Uh, cabal is a secret political critique or, or clique or, fac or faction. So... Um, Protect the election process from cabal, corruption, intrigue. What does this mean? I need to look this up as well. Intrigue means arouse with curiosity or interest of... Okay, well, yeah, I know what intrigue means. What's the... Is there a um, definition for this context, though? Um, definition... Okay, the second definition. To make secret plans or do something illicit or... To, or detrimental to someone, so they wanted to like be secretive, and and faction. Some delegates, including James Wilson and James Madison, preferred popular election of the executive. Madison, okay, yeah, like let's do that. Let's do the popular vote. So it was even thought of James Wilson and James Madison wanted the popular vote. Madison acknowledged that that while a popular vote would be ideal, it would be difficult to get consensus, getting people to agree here, yeah, on the proposal given the prevalence of slavery in the South. So, so it came down to um, a power issue. It turns out that the divisiveness that we are experiencing right now in the United States is not a new one. I did do a, uh, an episode, my last episode was tribalism, which, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. And we were very divided back then. And uh, I guess people in the North who weren't, um, where slavery was not as prominent, it still existed, but it wasn't as prominent, um, would have to worry about like, what do you count as a person? And that's when we get the three-fifths compromise that there's, um, there's black slaves who are not voting, but... The people in the South, of course, they want to count their slaves as people only when it makes sense to them as far as their power is concerned, which is totally messed up. People suck, um, was basically what I'm getting out of that. But the three-fifths compromise is uh, the people in the North, okay, well, your slaves count. Yeah, they don't own slaves, but your your slaves can count as three-fifths of a person. Um, so America, America has has been pretty awful in that regard as far as like honoring people as people and giving people power and and not honoring the marginalized since its beginnings. So so yeah, that's basically the background of Electoral College. People in the north, maybe there were less people. I don't know, I don't know, I wonder the population differences back then, but they wanted their votes to count more so that the people in the north with their different ideologies can can have more power and vote in a president 
versus the South who might have more slaves they can add to the population and that would count. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's just, it's a power grab, it seems like. And that's sort of what's happening. Not sort of, it is what's happening today. Um, and I kind of mentioned that in the beginning of this of this episode. Um, most people today live in urban areas, and in urban areas, people tend to be more um, more left leaning, more more progressive, more more liberal. And and in rural areas where there's less people, they tend to be more conservative. So so it makes it makes sense for Republicans to fight for that electoral college because because the the fewer people are have more more power in their vote than those in in like somewhere like California or Massachusetts or New York. So so that's kind of why the electoral college is stuck around is because because of the people in power they want to stay in power. But um yeah, it's just I don't know. Um it's a it's a it's a tricky tricky thing this governing business i guess but uh so that's that's all i want to talk about as far as the as far as the the history and the kind of the information of the electoral college basically it's in my opinion it's kind of a backward system not kind of it's a backward system to elect a president um people have won the popular vote and have lost the presidency which i think is wrong that means your vote should count in my opinion um and the argument that it's you know that states need to have some sort of right and um and i guess it it does take kind of some of the power away from some of those rural states um maybe their voice isn't heard as well maybe you know if if the popular vote does does put it is put in play um some some conservative conservative ideas are going to be less powerful less influential um but i think that's just kind of like the kind of the evolution of how democracy should work. Power systems should not be should not be stuck in one spot. Governance governments need to evolve. And it seems like the popular vote is a is a good way for for that to take place. Is a good is is a way for for the government to to evolve, to change, to um sort of meet the needs of the people that are changing. And if there's a group of people who are resistant to change, um, whether, you know, whether they're denying science or, um, hanging on to antiquated sort of ideas and morality and, um, you know, all of this, like they, they, they need to have less, less power in my opinion. But yeah, that's that. Um, as far as this election that's coming up, it is going to come down to the electoral college. It seems like, um, I follow this, I've been following recently this website called 538. Um, I just discovered it um, during this election because just like a lot of other people, um, I'm nervous about this election. Um, I am not going to try, I'm not, I'm not going to try to be unbiased here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, you know, how I feel, but I'm not sure how I would be able to cope psychologically, like mentally, like my mental health can cope with another four years of a, pre- of a Donald Trump presidency. I'm not sure how I would be able to handle that. Um, 
And maybe, maybe, maybe you disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, you, you probably disagree with me very heavily, which is fine. I can disagree. Um, but this presidency has totally um, perverted Christianity. It's perverted uh, and, and twisted people's, people's minds to what is right and what is wrong. Um, this president is not a president that has character or even like any morals. Um, obviously doesn't care about anybody or uh, other than himself. And that's, those are my, these are obviously my opinions and I'm very strongly opinionated on this, but I'm not sure if I could handle this anymore. Like I, I'm very nervous about this presidency. So I have been following the pres, this presidential election, uh, pretty closely. And I discovered a couple of YouTube videos, um, YouTube channels, and I'll, I'll try to link those in my show notes. But uh, in those YouTube videos, they were, they were using this website called 538.com, which is a really cool interactive like data tool where you can see on the map which, which states are likely to go to Trump or Biden and which ones are toss-ups. And that's where this election is going to be decided is in these toss-up states because of the Electoral College. It's not going to be a popular vote. Um, if Trump wins, which is not impossible, um, it is it is likely that if he wins, that he's going to lose the popular vote again, just like he did with Hillary Clinton. But uh, as it stands right now, um, the, the the I guess key states that 538 is saying that are there are Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska's second congressional district, because Nebraska's weird, I guess. I, I, I didn't go into the history of Nebraska, but Nebraska separates their electoral votes into three districts. Uh, and then Maine separates theirs into two, which is a little bit, they, they do things a little bit different than the other states. It's not, it's not like all or none. Um, so New, New, New Hampshire is a key state, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin. And I remember this nightmare from 2016 when uh, the, the, the votes started to come in, and I'm not exactly sure which swing states went, went towards, um, towards uh, Donald Trump that, you know, the, the point when we started getting freaked out. I know Florida was one of those, Ohio, and I know, I think it was even Wisconsin. I'm not, I know Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of these key swing states were swinging towards Donald Trump and people started to panic, including myself. Um, so as it is right now, um, as it is right now of these key states, Texas, uh, which is, which is a, a, a key, it's a, considered kind of a swing state now, which is kind of crazy. It's usually pretty solid red, um, is likely going to go towards Texas. Uh, but it's kind of trending in the way towards a more of a swing state, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but Texas is a very highly populated state, but it does have some really some of the biggest metros in the country, including Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso, Austin, uh, San Antonio. So these really, really big cities um, where you might have more of a more of a, a left leaning population. So that's it. It's interesting. But that's lean, that's leaning Trump. Um, but Arizona's leaning towards Biden. Uh, Nevada's leaning leaning Biden as it is right now. Um Iowa is leading Trump, but Wisconsin is 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 likely going to go Biden. Michigan is likely going to go Biden. Pennsylvania is likely going to go Biden. Um, Ohio is slightly leaning towards towards Trump. Uh, North Carolina is 
is like is likely sort of leaning towards Biden, but it can swing either way. Uh, Georgia, surprisingly, is sort of leaning towards Biden. And then Florida is leaning towards Biden. So as it is right now, in these videos that I've been watching, if if any of these sort of key swing states um, go towards Biden, then it's that's it's gonna it's gonna be a really good good sign. In order for Trump to win this presidency, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to swing those states that are polling towards Biden towards him, and he's not gonna he's not gonna be able to do it unless he sw- he he swings all of those states towards him. Um, and it, as it is right now, five thirty eight is saying there is a ninety percent chance that Biden is going to win the election, and a ten percent chance that Trump is going to win the election. Um, but what's kind of scary towards me is that tr- I kind of have a little bit of post-traumatic, uh, you know, memories of 2016 when I remember, you know, reading and watching videos four years ago when they were saying, oh yeah, Trump doesn't really have a great great um, uh, chance, you know, it's likely that's going to go towards Biden, uh, not Biden, uh, Hillary Clinton. And I kind of went with those polls, but now it's 10%. I'm like, oh, that's 10%. That's a chance. So anyways, yeah, we'll see how things go. Tomorrow's the election. Um, and I'm obviously hoping for for a Biden presidency, but uh, if you're hoping for a Trump presidency, uh, it's not looking good. But um, I I want to I want to disagree with people um, civilly. I want to I I want to I want to resist my tribalistic sort of behaviors and sort of move on. And I, I'm hoping that this country takes a route that um, is more of a unifying um, a, a unifying route that we can be sort of the, the, the healthy tribalism that I that I was kind of reading about in my last podcast is you know the supporting each other the the finding common ground and sort of gathering around that and maybe disagreeing but and maybe you can even maybe you can even um, passionately disagree but not to the point where where you're separating that person as to the other. They're the other tribe, and we need to, we need to fight that other. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that kind of leader looks like where they can be that unifying person. Um, I guess Abraham Lincoln was that, was that sort of leader because he unified the country again. We don't, we don't have two separate countries. Uh, we don't have the Confederate States of America and the United States of America. We have the United States of America. We're, we're united. We're together. So I'm hoping that we can find that, that unity, that common ground, um, that we can respect each other's differences, that we can, um, yeah, all of that. I'm hopeful. We'll see what happens. And I'm hoping this election, if it's a Biden presidency, that that is the first step towards unifying our country, because it, it really has seemed that a Donald Trump presidency has been nothing but divisive and has turned politics into a very ugly scenario and has pushed the left even further left and it's pushed the right even further right. And there's really no middle ground. There's really not an in-between anymore, it seems. Um, But I'm hopeful for myself and for my kids and for our young generation that this is a positive step forward, this election. It is going to be a historical um, election for a lot of reasons. but uh, we'll see how things go. That's all I have for this one. Um, 
maybe some non-election related stuff on the next podcast. So I have a couple of things I'm thinking about that I want to research. And if you've joined me for this, thank you. And I will talk to you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you.